0: If you will, join me now. We're going to be in John chapter 13. So if you can use your um, table of contents, you're welcome to. Um, but in addition to, uh, uh, if you don't have, let's say, a, a mobile device with, with a Bible app on it, um, would you just raise your hand if you don't have a Bible with you? And my friend Mark is actually going to bring you one by. Um, and so if you don't have a Bible, um, just raise your hand. Mark will, will, will bring one, just hold it up there and, and wait till my friend Mark will, will come bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, if you don't possess one, um, then please take this home with you. Um, you're not stealing it. This is our gift to you, and we want you to have it um, to the extent that if you know someone else who doesn't own a Bible, please um, take that and make that our gift to them as well. We believe that God's Word is what gives um, this group of people power, direction, and understanding. And so we always, want to, uh, be put, we, uh, we always want to put God's Word in front of us as much as possible. And as we've shared before, it's also a protective measure from one another, The Bible protects us from one another's opinions and saying, no, no, I like this, or this is how I prefer. Instead, we can say, well, this is what God gives us, and the rest of it we have freedom to decide for ourselves. So John chapter 13, I want to pick up maybe where we've left off over the last couple of weeks, looking at the core values of this group of people that we call Connection Church. Now, for the last several months, we've been walking through the book of Acts, which is literally the actions of the apostles that follows the Gospels, the good news of who Jesus is. That is, what people do once they know and understand and believe and are changed by the good news of who Jesus is. And in that, we've seen some things start to jump out, some themes that are are recurring, so much so that they recur throughout the Scriptures. And so we've wanted to dive into that, to understand that for the next couple of weeks from a, a larger perspective. Maybe zoom out of the book of Acts and see where some of these themes that have been coming up in the earliest followers of Jesus groups Where they really came from. And so the first time uh, we we started talking about this, we talked about the most important thing that we will see over and over and over again. And you'll hear me repeat over and over and over again, as much as I possibly can, as repetitive as I can possibly be, the gospel. That is the fancy Bible church word for good news. It is the core of who we are. It's, it's our meaning for existence. It's, it's the identity that God has given to us. It's the good news that Jesus has done something for us, the good news that God was not content to sit up there and out there, but instead the good news that God came to be with us, that He loved us so much and cared so much about His creation that He wanted to adopt us, even as we were strangers and rebels, into His own household by the grace that He showed through Jesus Christ. And it wasn't free on His part, but instead it cost Him. And we hear the good news of Jesus that he loved us so much that he was willing to walk up a hill betrayed by his friends and hang on a cross, public, betrayed, so that you and I would not be separated from God. And that's incredibly good news, and it's such good news that everything we do revolves around it. And So last week we talked about the response to this good news we see played out in the book of Acts and elsewhere from the beginning to the end is what we would call the mission, First and foremost, the mission of God. What God is doing, that He is ultimately bringing glory to Himself. And the way that He wants glory among the nations of the earth is not to be glorified as simply a wrathful and angry judge, but instead, He desires that the entire world would love Him, adore Him, and glorify Him for His display of mercy and grace. So that ultimately, you and I in our lives will give God glory one way or the other not because we want to or don't want to, but because God deserves it and he will get it by either displaying his wrath over our lives for our rebellion for eternity, or he will get the glory by displaying his mercy over our lives for eternity. And that's who God wants to be known as and God continues to accomplish this from the beginning to the end of the scripture as we See, stories of people that that they're not glossed over, they're not whitewashed, they're not painted over. Instead, they really are failures. They're rebels. They're people that stray from God from the beginning of the garden all the way to the end. Our propensity and our nature and disposition is to not do what God wants us to do, to not live up to His standards. And yet, over and over and over again, instead of displaying His wrath to destroy us, God gives more chances. Just keeps giving chances keeps giving more and more opportunities to display his mercy over your life and mine. And at any given point throughout the scripture, we could have seen the story end where God goes, and that was the end because they were terrible people. Instead, it's like, and they were terrible people, and then God displayed his mercy over their life and gave them a new direction. All the way until God showed himself finally and definitively in Jesus Christ. But now that we know this, and now that we are invited into his mission, and the mission simply is the message, the message, our, message, our mission is our message. The good news of who Jesus is, is ultimately our mission. And we saw last week that to keep it a secret, to keep this thing that God has given to us a secret, is to actually deny who God is. It's actually to go against God's characteristic as as, as God is a a loving and gracious God who calls people who are far off near to himself in Jesus Christ. If we're to keep those things a secret and keep people far off and distant from us, then we're denying the good news that draws us close to God. And so just now how, how God has reconciled you and me to him, he has given us the power through this gospel to reconcile the world to him and you and I to one another. And when we have the gospel in common, we have more in common than anything else. And when you and I have Jesus and what he's accomplished and done for us in common, then we as a group of people have a more sure sense of friendship, companionship, in the Bible we use the word fellowship, than if we had anything else in common. Jesus has done something that's settled everything for us, and so What we see is a response to these people who are on mission sharing this good news, looking for opportunities through many different ways to share this good news. We also see that there's a way in which we do it and it brings us to the next value and I want to summarize it this way. Because Jesus Christ has served us so selflessly, we are now set free to serve the people around us. Because Jesus, who was entitled to all good things, lowered himself and served you and me, then we are now set free to serve the people around us. And there's a picture that Jesus paints multiple times of what service looks like. And we see this played out in the New Testament. We'll talk about at least one or two of those places. But the most important thing that I see... Right here in in John chapter 13, maybe the most important summary of what it looks like for you and me to be changed by Jesus so much that we begin to serve people selflessly. Instead of being a self-centered hoarder in this lifetime, we are selfless and we give to the people around us the service of our time and whatever resources God has entrusted to us. And I think this is epitomized here in John chapter 13. So let's read that together. We'll dig into it. I'll hopefully... um, try to run through this pretty quickly. Uh, Last week, as we were telling one of probably my favorite stories, got excited. We went a little long. Um, I do that sometimes. I just get pumped about the story. I wanted to pile it all in. I didn't want to get to the cliffhanger and go, hey, come back next week for the exciting conclusion. I'm not that guy. I want to pile it all in. So we'll do John chapter 13. Hopefully this will be a simple, concise understanding of our idea of service according to Jesus' model. Now, before the feast of the Passover, And he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Do you wash my feet? He said. Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward... You will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, then you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not then my feet only, but also my hands and even my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do know them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. And so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you're going to do do quickly now no one at the table knew why he said this to him some thought that because jesus judas had the money bag jesus was telling him buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor so after they receive after receiving the morsel of bread he immediately went out and then it was night and when he had gone out jesus said now is the son of man keyword glorified and god is glorified in him By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so, in this passage, there's more than we could even begin to unpack. And if there's more questions, I would love for you. Um, to come to me. I don't have any original ideas, original thoughts, especially in an area where I desire to grow very, very much and feel the need to grow. And so if there's any questions, I've I've got a, a list of footnotes and different resources that I would love to share with you. If you've got any questions about this, because there's so many different things coming through this one chapter, who Jesus is and the glory of God the Father given to him. Who he has sent, who he has chosen. Um, who, I mean, there's, there's Satan enters the picture and, and, and is the author of some sort of betrayal. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy stuff, and we have no time to cover all of them. And so I want to at least see the enduring command that seems to leave uh, or, or that we're left with at the end of this and, and the enduring example that Jesus gives to us that Jesus ultimately has served us in such a way that now we are free to serve around us. And Jesus ultimately wants to do something here that turns the entire world, or at least as I see our culture, on its head. It turns everything we know to be true and upside down. You see this played out again in in Matthew chapter 20, and I'll I'll read it to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, there's another account by another one of the followers of Jesus, of a time in which the disciples, the followers, the apostles were right there with Jesus. And, and the mother of one of the sons of Zebedee, we, we read about them, if you'll remember, um, the sons of thunder in the book of Acts. But here we have w- the mother of these two guys who apparently were, were, uh, were pretty rough brothers that got along in a weird way. They made everyone feel awkward when they are around. Ever had that, been around brothers like that? Yep. That's what people felt around my brother and I. Stop fighting, Seriously. And kneeling before him, this is the mother, she asked him for something, that is Jesus. And he, said, excuse me, and he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, please say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And then they, the sons, said to him, we are able, and Jesus knows exactly that that is true, that they are one day going to die on his behalf. And so therefore, they have earned the right to drink the cup with Jesus. But he says to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and to sit at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten that were there heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, right? Wait, like, you a grown man and your mom had to come in here and ask this favor? Did your mommy just come in here and ask for something for you? I mean, you, you can imagine the kinds of things that were felt and said at this point, right? This group of guys, it's like, I mean, think of this. Uh, this is a good group of guys. These are, these are hard workers, fishermen. These are, these are kind of a manly men, right? And they're all gathered around. And it'd be kind of like a a, a mom walking into the locker room of a football team and saying to the coach, Hey, will you let my sons play quarterback? And I don't know. I mean, would you make my son be the starting forward on on the basketball team? You get what I mean? You get the picture, mom comes in and asks for this favor for their sons. You got to imagine the other guys around are going, What what are you doing here? This is not not how this works. And it says there, the nice word is that they are indignant. But Jesus called them to him and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, that is those that are far from God, those that are not a part of the family of God, chosen at first, it says the people who are now far from God, they, the rulers of them, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise great authority over them. But hear these words of Jesus. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must first be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even just as the Son of Man, that is Him, Jesus, came not to be served, but instead to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So get the picture of how the world works, how you earn things, how you get famous, how you get rich, how you get powerful. Think of all the things that have to happen for you to get that kind of treatment, for greatness in this world, you have to have accomplished something. You've got to have a, a skill set, a gift set. And if you don't, in fact, we get angry and we don't think it's fair that you're special and we're not. And, and if you don't have that, you know, you, you kind of defy what I would say is kind of the norm of our society. You've you got to earn your place. You've got to earn the right to be on top. And if you've ever had a boss that you didn't think earned the right to tell you what to do, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Competent, Right? Been there? Okay. You've ever had someone over authority or an authority over you and for whatever reason you didn't think they earned that or deserved that? You know exactly what I'm talking about. This is how the world works. We, we kind of have a pecking order and the, 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 I guess the cream rises to the top and the people with the most gifts, the people with the most ability, sometimes the people who are willing to go the furthest to make the greatest sacrifice or even to hurt or harm the most people to get there deserve to be where they are. And that's how the world works. That's it. The Rich will always get richer and the poor will all get poorer because this is how the world works. And Jesus comes along and he says, you see this in the world, but notice this is not how it's meant to be. Instead, if you want to be great, if you want to be in charge, if you want to be the boss, then you first got to be the servant. And if you want to be the Lord over someone and tell them what to do, then you've first got to be willing to be their slave and be told what to do. And Jesus puts into perspective the thing that he is accomplishing on our behalf. And something different takes place here than in any other religion that I can think of. And he summarizes his reason for being there by turning what we understand in power onto its head. And he says, For this reason, I have come here, not so that you will serve me, but instead so that I can serve you, so that I can serve for you and do the thing for you which you cannot do for yourself, namely, to give my life as a ransom for yours. So we got to start there. The gospel is at the heart of this, that the good news that seems to uproot the way the world works is right at the heart of our idea of service in that rest easy, okay? Jesus does not want your begrudging submission. Jesus does not want you to feel obligated to do things for him. He does not want to appeal your, to your sense of obligation. The reason is that even if you were to feel that way, even if you were to feel like, you know what, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, I owe God something. Even if you were to feel that way, you and I are powerless to serve in a capacity that would actually mean anything. The rebellion that's in our heart, the desires that we have that are against what God wants for you and for me, as much as we'd like to, there's no way that we can serve our way out of those. Right? Right? I mean, try as hard as you want. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Try to be better. Try to do that thing and you'll realize your inability to serve God rightly. I mean, sure, you might clean up your act for a while, but then when no one's looking... And the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that ultimately, I've got to do something for you. If you're going to serve me first, I've got to do something for you. Because if you are not even welcome in the sight of God, if you're not even welcome in the presence of God, then the first thing I've got to do is I've got to serve you in such a way that I pay the ransom that you owe for your sin. And once I do that, then you'll be free to be entered into the presence of God and serve Him rightly. But unless I do this, then you'll be wasting your time let me illustrate that. For those of you maybe who are highly highly disciplined, maybe highly OCD, and you're really good at organizing things and you really uh, like to get things in a row, or maybe you're maybe a highly religious person. Have you ever gone through religious motions and at the end of them felt really like you wasted your time? Ever felt that way? <laughs> ever felt like, I mean, who am I talking? Is anyone even listening? And you go through the motions of Of religious practice and at the end of it you feel like kind of exhausted like it didn't give you any life and it was a waste of your time this is why you do not have the power to serve god instead jesus has the power to serve you on god's behalf so that you can find obedience and joy in him and if you've ever felt that emptiness and that sense of like a wasted moment because you, you thought you were doing good enough, but it ended up not working out. You ever felt that way? Like, I'm doing good. Why are they getting all the good things to happen? You ever felt that way? Maybe the only one confessing this, but I mean, like, I'm, I'm doing the right things. I'm not saying this. I'm not doing this. Why, why am I not getting good things out of it? And the reason is because you don't have the power to serve God. Instead, Jesus has been given the power to serve you so that we are set free to serve in the world around us. But if Jesus doesn't do this first, then I warn you right now, everything I'm about to say about motives and about service will be a waste of your time and it will be a rat race for you. you don't get this gospel, this good news that Jesus has done something for you that set you free to be and do something you could have never done without him, if you don't let him serve you and let him be your mediator between yourself and God, if you don't realize that Jesus is the only way that your broken and sinful, rebellious heart could ever deserve to be in the presence of God, then the rest of this stuff is going to feel like a rat race. And you'll find yourself being very empty and very frustrated. Because you see, our motives matter. Our motives for service matter. If we're serving because we think it earns something, then we've missed what Jesus has accomplished for us. And we've exalted ourselves ultimately above Jesus. And if what we're saying is our service to God and the things we do for our family, our friends, our bosses, the things we do, if we think that ultimately they get us in better standing than what Jesus has done for us, then we've shrunk down the good news and we've shrunken down Jesus and the cross that he died on to save you and me. So let's throw out some of the motives. The motives that in this world that you might see, I would say the, uh, the most compelling one we have uh, to me is like empathy. Um, it gets called things like compassion, but even that's kind of a misnomer. And empathy is kind of mixed in with guilt. And if you've ever served in this capacity, you know exactly what it's like. Um, this is, and this is one we talked about we did last week, we we talked about missions so that when the time comes for you and I as a group of people to not only be on a mission in our in our lives and our families but to be on a mission as a group of people we'll do something let's say let's call it a mission project or a mission trip ultimately if that mission doesn't further the kingdom by the power of the gospel then it's not the mission it's service with wrong motives so if you've ever served someone because they had it bad and you had it better ultimately what you're doing is kind of trying to assuage your guilt for having it so good and they having it so bad Listen to people when they go like, overseas into third world countries to serve. If they come back and they're not talking about the gospel going out among the nations, then what they did, as much as they'd like to call it this, is not a mission trip. Because the mission of God is ultimately to save people by the gospel. Draw nations back to Himself. So, so if you ever hear somebody coming back and, from like a third world country, and, and I've been guilty of this, and, and they talk more about like the crazy living standards than they do about the Holy Spirit working and the gospel going out, beware, you've witnessed the false motive. Because if you're compelled to go Two people who have less only because you feel bad or, or you're compelled to experience a different life and what it would look like in a different world, be careful. You're serving, but you're serving with the wrong motives. Your ultimate motive is just guilt and compassion that you think is empathy, which is great, but that really wears out fast, doesn't it? Guilt is a poor motivation to do anything. So you see this. Every once in a while, if you see people, their false motives come out. The other kinds of uh, motivations, I think, are obligation or force, right? Um, uh, I was reminded of this uh, a few weeks ago. Somebody kind of shared this to me. Like This kind of motivation, it gets the job done, but there's no joy in it, right? And, and this, this is important to see. So have you ever, and you may not be the, the person in your family who's nominated to do this. I'm nominated to do this in my family have you ever had to call a customer service representative, right? And I don't mean like to thank them for the good job that their company's doing, right? Have you ever, okay, and and then you're on hold, oh man. So whatever dissatisfaction you had going into the phone call, um, you had to Google like 14 different things just to find the customer service number, you know what I'm talking about? Because They don't keep that public. They want to kind of hide that, make that hard to find. And then you call and you sit there and you're like 20 minutes, and then you get finally to talk to a human being. Let's talk about that human being that gets to answer your phone call for just a minute, all right? They're going to help you, but why, right? Is it because they love you? Is it because they are free to serve you in this capacity? In fact, Usually the first words out of your mouth um, kind of betray even, even any slight notion of that. And that person's going to help you, not because he likes you, but that person is under obligation. That person is being forced, for whatever reason, the person is not being paid enough to deal with your complaints and mine, but that person is going to help you out of obligation. And here's what I know about that person. I love that person because I've talked to that person, and I really just, and I feel bad because even then I demean them. And I'm like, let me talk to your manager because I know who, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, As if to say, like, you're worthless, right? And I've been here. But here's what I know. That person must live a dark and dreary life. In fact, that's how I know that most people who work in call centers have one of the smallest tenures. The median tenure for people who work in call centers is tiny. The turnover is amazing. Because you'll know really quick whether or not you can tolerate that on the phone, right? That person's serving you, but not because he loves you. Not because God commanded them to. Usually that person's serving you because... They have an obligation. And the other way we serve, I think sometimes is either out of pride, entitlement, or repayment. I would lump them all together because ultimately what we do is we serve people so that we will gain an advantage from it. Sometimes it's a prideful advantage. Someone, you, you ever heard someone like, oh yeah, and they're just, they never, they never serve privately, right? They only serve publicly. They only do service and they look for opportunities to remind you of that service right? You've been there. We do this in our marriage all the time. This is something God's changing that we, 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 we serve one another, but there's this handful of things that we do just so we can go, yeah, now you have to do this for me because I did that, which is the wrong motivation. Don't do that right? Real service ultimately would be like, I did this and I won't draw any attention to it. We do that, but there's a few times when which we do things, you remember that thing you told me to do? I did it. I did it. Just look, everybody gather around. Look, see, Look, Instagram. Everyone, this is what I did. Meet that guy. That's the wrong motive. And sooner or later, you won't get the thing you want and you'll use words like this. You got burned out, right? Or, or, or there's conflict because you didn't get what was coming to you a sense of entitlement, a sense of repayment. If you ever want to see the motives for people who serve you like that, then just don't pay them back. Don't say thank you. And you'll see that their motives ultimately were for re, just being reinforced. Now take those motives, take all of those motives and apply them to the way we approach God. Have you ever felt the need To know and see and talk to God or pray to God or serve God simply because you felt guilty or bad? Ever felt that guilt and shame? Have you ever thought that maybe if you do something, you'll you'll meet the obligation that God has set for you and you can check it off your list until next time it comes up? And none of us would want to admit this, but have have you ever done something right, something good in God's eyes, but you only did it for your own gain? You only did it so people would notice you. In each of these moments, our motive matters because our motive is communicating that our ability to serve is greater than Jesus' ability to serve us. And our ability to feel and understand and achieve in this life is greater than what Jesus has achieved on our behalf. And our motive matters and we see this even in the Old Testament. This is a recurring theme. Um, you see this a couple different places, especially in the prophet of Isaiah. Um, he, he points out that, that some people, they were bringing these sacrifices and they were, they were serving God, but then God sent the prophet Isaiah to remind them that even though they were serving faithfully, He rejected their sacrifice because their hearts were far from Him. Ever helped somebody and done something and your heart wasn't in it? Your motives matter. Your motives matter to Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't want to just give you a new set of things to do. Jesus wants to give you a new heart that will give you a new set of motives that will increase your joy. So Here's what I'll leave you with that I think this particular text brings out. It addresses those motives, especially as we look at Matthew chapter 20. The motives for doing things. So it addresses them. But ultimately, the first and foremost thing we see here is that we do not serve in order to earn God's favor we are able to serve because God has already freely given us his favor in Jesus let me say it again we do not serve in order to win God's approval you're not that special you can't do that much but there is one who is and he has served you and served me we do not serve to win God's approval, but instead we serve because we know that God has given us His approval in Jesus. I mean, think how this would look even in day to day life, in our, in our relationships, the way we relate to God and we relate to one another. What kind of person would I be if I was standing up here and I was like, ah, oh, I got to cook a meal for my family today. Ah, oh, otherwise they will starve. Right? Got to take my wife out on a date because I married her. Oh! Right? Just even voicing that frustration. I mean, what, what kind of person does that? It's a person who doesn't really feel that connectedness. Or what about a person who's like, I need to do this so that my wife will love me. If I don't do this, my wife will stop loving me. Well, that, that relationship's got a ticking time bomb on it, doesn't it? Because it's only a matter of time before you run out of things to do, you get tired of it, or they just run out of being, you know, grateful for the things you do. Instead, man, Imagine the relationships that God has intended for us and for my life and that I would willingly lay down my life for my wife not so that I could earn something but ultimately because I already know she loves me. I'm not going to serve her so that she will love me. That would be a rat race that I could never... Man, that would be a gerbil wheel that would just kill you. And you know and maybe have been in that situation or seen that situation in a marriage in close proximity. People hate each other. Man, what if... What if it looked different if we were so secure in the love of our family that we began to love back and serve faithfully? That's the kind of picture God has painted here. That ultimately, if Jesus doesn't wash you, then you have no right to think that you can pass on any good news to anyone else. So just quick picture as I kind of illustrate that. It's hard to imagine someone like cleaning your feet in the way that they would have understood it. Um, it, it, There's really nothing close until I, I heard somebody illustrate it this way. Take feet out of the equation, okay? And instead, the picture I want you in your mind to have, you ready? This is going to hurt. Your toilet. Okay? If that doesn't inspire you, let's go with gas station toilet, right? Convenience store toilet, okay? It's probably the closest we can come up with, okay? That Jesus, get the picture, Jesus, the Lord of all the earth, came to these guys... And he took the most filthy part of them. A place that was dishonorable. In fact, there's Eastern cultures that still believe this. If you show the bottom of your feet to someone, I don't mean, this an illustration, I don't mean to do that. But it's disrespectful. And different dignitaries throughout history have accidentally done this, not knowing, but if you, you know, cross your legs, you show the bottom of your foot to someone, it's utter disrespect. And Jesus came and took the most filthy part of their selves and eat washed it clean just let that sit for just a minute jesus when he looks at you and me he's not like hey clean yourself up so we can hang out instead he eagerly and actively lowers himself to serve in a way that was utterly disrespectful for this time but he lowered himself before these men because he loved them so much not to leave the most filthy part of their lives a mess What a beautiful picture of Jesus, right? He looks at you and looks at me and instead of thinking, you clean yourself up, he goes, I want the filth. Give me the filth. That's what I want to clean up. Don't just wash your face and dress up and appear a certain way. I want the filth. I want the thing that hurts the most. I want the scar that is the most visible. I want the thing that robs you of the most joy and I want to take it and I want to clean it and make it something amazing. And if you start to think, okay, maybe that's possible, but even that might kind of rattle your cage in your way of thinking, and you think, well, well, what do I have to do to earn it? What do I have to do it? Do I have to be better and be faithful? No. If you don't believe me, look at whose feet he washed. He washed the feet of the guy that was only moments later going to betray him. What a beautiful picture of our God, that he looks at our filth, knowing the rebellion that's in our future, not hoping that we won't screw up, but knowing that we will, and still wanting to take that filthy part and make it clean. Some of you are afraid. You're like, oh, I don't know if I want to follow Jesus because I'll mess it up. I'll beat you to the punch. I know you'll mess it up. And so did Judas. And yet, notice, Jesus did not skip, and he washed a few of their feet except for Judas because he was going to betray him. No, this Judas got his feet washed, the most filthy part of his body washed by Jesus, just the same. I'm afraid I'm going to let Jesus, I'm I'm going to let Jesus down. I'm not going to boldly proclaim his name. I know you won't. In fact, there's a guy here at the end by the name of Peter. That's why I wanted to read it to you. He was like, I'm going to die for you, Jesus. And Jesus was like, no, you're not. You're probably going to hide and cry with the rest of the guys. And yet, he washed his feet, didn't he? Jesus does something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. We do not serve to earn God's favor. We serve because we are so grateful that God has taken the most filthy parts of our life and begun to make them new again. This affects the way we serve with respect to mission. So we're going to have lots of opportunities to serve people in need in our families, in our homes, in our cities, in our neighborhoods. We're going to have opportunities to serve. But make sure you're set free to serve rightly. It is not our job to save the world. It is our job to tell the world about the one who's already saved it. Get it? It is not our job to save the world. Okay, so go to Africa. Let's dig wells for people who need clean water. Let's save lives. But let's recognize that when we do so, we're only doing so to open up the conversation to tell them about the one that saved the world. We're not going there so that we can save it on our own. And this sets you free. This sets you free to see that sometimes things don't work out like you want them to. And it sets us free to know that we can serve faithfully and diligently because it's ultimately not our job to save the world. It's our job to be cleansed by Jesus and then look for opportunities to tell the world about the one that's already saved it. Our motives matter, but maybe the last couple things that I'll leave this kind of, it may sting a little bit, but if you find yourself with a critical spirit, if you find yourself really good at finding the faults in others, Be careful okay? Be, be especially careful. This is I'm going to pray for this. And you pray for me. Because a critical spirit, and you know what I'm talking about, that gift when you walk in the room and you immediately know, immediately know all the things wrong with the people around them. I'm, I'm well aware you already know my flaws. They're pretty obvious, okay? But just know that tendency to find people's flaws is probably the greatest, It's probably the greatest enemy to a life of service, a life that serves to glorify God. Because what we're doing, whether we realize it or not, when we find those faults, what we're saying is, that's a person that should serve me because of their flaws. And it's funny, sometimes we use stupid standards, right? We, we, we tend to find the weaknesses in other people that are most obvious to the rest of the people around us in our, own, in our own lives. And if we're not careful, we'll use that as an excuse to not serve people and live a life of entitlement. But notice what this text tells us. Jesus, the perfect, holy Son of God, no one gave more no one accomplished more did not feel entitled to the service of the people around him instead it says that he emptied himself he lowered himself philippians chapter 2 says it this way in churches encourage you do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but instead in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. So you find that person's flaws and you think you're better than them, you're wrong. Instead, that person is probably better than you. You're just blind to the things that are wrong with you. And and he says, think of their interests before your own. Instead, look to the interests of others. He says, have this mind among yourselves which is yours, not because you're special, but because it's yours in Christ Jesus. And if you start to wonder, well, why should I serve people? He wants you to know. Serve Think of other people's interests greater than yours. Have this mind through Jesus Christ, who, even though he was in the very form of God, even though Jesus, who had the power of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but instead it says he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. Remember that? Remember that whole, if you're going to be great, you've got to be what? You've got to be a servant. Nobody puts their money where their mouth is like Jesus. He took the form of... Of a servant. He was born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. And not just obedient, but obedient to the point of death. And not just death, but death on an old rugged cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. We are called to be simply followers of Jesus' example. We can't save the world he already has. And so if you have a critical spirit, be careful. What you're saying is that you're entitled to something that ultimately Jesus has entrusted you to begin with. And Jesus, who was entitled to all things, didn't think that equality with God was something to be grasped, but instead he lowered himself to serve so that God would get the glory. Imagine this, you and I serving others and one another in such a way, John 13 tells us, that when people see it, they go, wow, that reminds me of Jesus. And so here's the last thing. If you ever find yourself saying these words, well, someone needs to fill in the blank, okay? Beware. That's one of the other enemies to a servant heart. If you ever find yourself saying, well, someone needs to do this, understand that's probably God calling you to serve. And it's probably one of the greatest obstacles for your service. If you ever find yourself, well, someone needs to do this. Someone needs to get this. Someone needs to take care of this. Careful. That might be the greatest enemy. And it might be the greatest enemy not only to your own joy and service and your ability to serve the people around you, but it might be the greatest enemy to the joy that you experience in your relationships in this church. So here's something we want to pray for, and I'll end on this. If you ever find yourself thinking, well, someone needs to do this, someone in Sioux Falls needs to do this or someone in Connection Church needs to do this, or someone in this house needs to do this. you are find those words coming out of your mouth. Consider that God's invitation to do just that. Not because you're special, but because ultimately Jesus didn't send someone else to fight his fight. Instead, he laid down his own life to accomplish for you and for me what we could never do on our own. And so we now, since we have been set free by the selfless love and sacrificial service of Jesus are free to serve with joy not out of guilt for his glory not for our own so that he and his name goes out to save the world not so that we do let's pray together God we thank you so much uh, for your goodness we thank you for your mercy Uh, we thank you for showing us who you are in Jesus Um, God, even right now, there's, there's some of us, this, this, just takes, this is going to take for just years to begin to undo. We are so deeply uh, indoctrinated and ingrained in this idea that, that our, our goal in life is to be better than those around us, and our goal in life is, is to find success and satisfaction in our positions and the people that serve us. We're so ingrained in this idea that we're, we're constantly looking for ways for people to make us look better, um, and we recognize that we confess it. And so, to each one of these circumstances where we failed to to serve, would you help us even now to preach the gospel to ourselves in the area where our motives are wrong for service? Would you would you preach the gospel and show it to us so that we would pre- preach it to ourselves? That no, Jesus died. Jesus accomplished this so that I can do so with joy. Jesus endured the pain and suffering of service so that now I can serve free of pain and suffering. Jesus has offered and paid for the ultimate reward for his service so that I would have freedom to simply serve and enjoy it with him. In places where our critical spirit tends to take over, would you help us to preach the gospel to ourselves? And the truth of the gospel would become a reality for us. Instead of saying, well, that person's flawed. Instead, we would say, no, I am flawed. Thank God that through Jesus Christ, He has died to cleanse me and perfect me, not by my own righteousness, but by the righteousness that comes from outside of myself. Help us to preach the gospel, and when we're prone to criticize or complain, help us to instead say, man, thank you, God, that even though I don't deserve it, and even though I deserve criticism for my flaws, you sent your son to die for me. But God, now open our eyes. If we find places, maybe there's already opportunities around us where, where we think, hey, um, somebody should do that, or we, we better get on that. God, let us, let us take that as an opportunity. Let us take that as, let us take that as motivation that you are calling us by your spirit to serve selflessly, selflessly, not to save the world, but to bring light to the one that has. We can't do this without you. And we can only do this for your glory. In your name, amen.